Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 35, epigenetics. That is a big old buzzword that we've heard a lot about recently. And in today's episode, we're going to break that down and try to understand a little bit better what exactly epigenetics is, how does it relate, and then also what is it not. So to real quick sum up and oversimplify things right here in the beginning If you can imagine that your DNA is the blueprint for your house, your DNA codes for everything about you. And so if you could imagine it as being your blueprint for your house, then epigenetics is that layer on top of it and describing, well, within your house, what lights are on and where and when. Do you have the lights on in the family room or are they on in the kitchen? And so if you can can kind of use that analogy here that's oversimplifying it, but it's kind of the same idea. Your DNA codes for everything about who you are. And then the epigenetics is describing how that DNA interacts with proteins and also how it has certain tags on it and or on the proteins and how those tags help tell what genes get turned on and off. Because epigenetics is responsible for Things like cell specialization, you have skin cells, liver cells, blood cells, breast tissue cells, and every single cell in your body within that nucleus has the exact same DNA. Well, then why then does my red blood cell look and function differently than my liver cell? Well, the answer is in epigenetics because the blood cell has genes turned on that require a blood cell's job to get done. And it has the liver cells jobs turned off because blood cells don't do liver cell work. And the flip is true for the liver cell and the skin cell and so forth. The mechanism for what decides or how that turns on and off those lights or turning on and off those genes that helps with specialization, that is the study of epigenetics. It is a real cutting edge, legit science, and they are currently working on trying to map out the human epigenome. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, they completed the Human Genome Project, which you may have heard about. And that's where scientists were able to map out and say, hey, we know what genes are where on the human DNA sequence or the human genome. That's pretty groundbreaking and amazing that we have gotten to that point where we know where these genes are. Well, now we're layering on top of that. And in fact, epi means on top. The word epigenetics was originally coined in 1942 by Conrad Wellington and has gained in popularity and use over the years. And in fact, a survey done by Razvi and Usta showed that the number of Epigenetics-focused scientific publications had a 12.5% growth rate between 2012 
in 2015. Epigenetics is referring to how that DNA interacts with those proteins that can cause different phenotypes. You may hear somebody say that epigenetics can change the phenotype without changing the genotype. Now, this is when I get super uber excited because these are my biology words and I just love rattling them off. And they sound all big and fancy, but let's break down what the meaning is. Your phenotype is referring to the trait that is expressed and the genotype is referring to that gene or the DNA. So in other words, you can change what is being expressed without altering the DNA itself. And how that happens or can happen is through, well, which lights in the house are on. Do you have blood cell jobs on or off? Do you have the skin cell jobs on and off? And we're going to look at how that can affect things on another level as well and how epigenetics may play a role in diseases such as cancer. Perhaps maybe it's affecting which genes are getting turned on and off. Let's relate this back to some stuff that I talked about in a previous episode. Within our DNA, we have a whole slew of different genes. Some of the genes that we have are what they call tumor suppressor genes. Those genes do exactly what the name describes. They suppress or keep from happening, push down tumors from growing. Those are good. We want them. And in a previous episode, I talked about one of those being the BRCA gene. Just to reiterate, in case you may have missed that episode, everybody has the BRCA gene. Its job is to tell old cells that have reached the end of their life cycle that they are no longer needed. That's what's supposed to happen. A cell at the end of its life cycle, once it gets old and wonky, it's supposed to receive a message that says, thanks for your service, you're no longer needed, goodbye now. And it dies off and goes away. Well, what happens in cancer is that they don't get that message. And those old wonky cells don't die off like they're supposed to. They continue to replicate. And then you get a little ball or mass of old wonky cells that are invading that tissue of wherever it's found. That is cancer. That's what happens when those tumor suppressor genes, so BRCA for example, when they're not working properly. Everybody has that BRCA gene. If you have a mutation in that gene, then that means that it's somehow broken and the message doesn't ever reach those old wonky cells. I'm using that one as an example. BRCA is not the only tumor suppressor gene, but Keeping that in your mind as we go through and we're talking about epigenetics and how it can have a role in diseases such as cancer, what if maybe you didn't inherit a mutation such as that, but if something happened that caused those lights to get turned off, that caused the tumor suppressor gene to no longer be activated or functioning properly, what if those lights were turned off through epigenetics? Well, you could imagine if that gene is no longer being expressed, then it can't send the message to those old wonky cells to die off and therefore cancer can develop. Epigenetics can be affected by environmental factors, chemical factors, things like where you live or medicines you may take, aging, diet, exercise. The truth of the matter is we've only just begun to scratch the surface. As I've said, they are currently working on mapping out that human epigenome to try to better understand things 
And as I said before, this is cutting edge. But it's still fun to imagine where this level of science can take us in generations to come. If and when the epigenome actually is mapped out, that next layer on top, that next set of studies that could potentially be done may be to figure out how do we then turn certain genes on and off. So if you could get to the point where you could identify, is there a tumor suppressor gene that is getting turned off and understanding why and how, then the next layer may be, well, how do we keep that one turned on? That would be amazing. But the truth is, is that we are not there yet. We're on that cutting edge. We know that this happens and they're currently mapping out that human epigenome. So the mechanisms for how that happens, we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes. But first, I do want to remind everybody that science doesn't just happen overnight. There is a very specific method that needs to be followed. It's that scientific method. Maybe you remember hearing about in high school. It's a method that must be followed. And in doing these studies, there are lots of wrong turns and failures that happen along the way. We learn from those. People dedicate their lives to science. And although breakthroughs are happening, they do take time. The important thing to remember about that scientific method and those scientific peer-reviewed articles is that that data has to be replicable. They have to have their controls in place. They have to have those independent, dependent variables. They have to be able to talk about what is statistically significant and what's not. And that's what makes all the difference are those scientific peer-reviewed articles. So yes, epigenetics, that is a big old fancy word and we hear a lot about it. But I just want to make sure that those of you that are listening, when you go to the internet to search for more on this topic, be mindful about what is science-based and what is not. Don't let any article or any person make you feel or think that breast cancer is somehow your fault, that you did something wrong. You did not. It sucks, but it is not your fault. And you're not going to simply will it away or wish it away or have some quick home remedy fix that's going to solve your problem. Do not turn your back on modern medicine. Listen to your doctors. One of the articles that I really like was written by Caitlin Feely, And it's about a mountain lion. And she explains what it's like to go through cancer for somebody that might not understand. And she essentially draws the analogy between fighting cancer being like running away from a mountain lion. In her article, there's an excerpt that reads, For some reason, there's someone in the crowd who's yelling, That's not really a mountain lion. It's a puma. And another person yelling, Hey, I read that mountain lions are allergic to kale. Have you tried rubbing kale on it? I laugh hysterically when I read that line because it just sounds absolutely ludicrous. I'm not going to fight off a mountain lion by just simply rubbing kale on it. Be smart, be mindful, listen to your doctors, and when you're doing your data gathering, make sure that you're sifting through what is and what is not scientifically based or those peer-reviewed scientific research articles. Another quick case in point to illustrate this is there was an article or big talk back in the day 
poking fun and messing with people saying that dihydrogen monoxide or DHMO was so dangerous and that it was deadly and it needed to be eliminated because it had caused all of these deaths. Well, if you break it down, folks, dihydrogen monoxide, di meaning two, hydrogen, and mono meaning one, oxide. That's H2O. That's water. They're poking fun at the fact that H2O has this other fancy way of saying it, dihydrogen monoxide, and that yes, people have drowned from water. Does that make all of water bad and that we need to riot against it and eliminate it? No, but my point in bringing this to your attention is to recognize just because there's fancy flashy words and they sound legit, they may make you think one thing, just be smart and look through, gather that data based off of those scientific peer-reviewed articles. Yes, epigenetics is cutting edge. It is legit science, but we also have more questions than answers at this point in time too. But it is amazing cutting-edge science that has potential to take us into that next generation of medicine. All right, so let's break down the genetics a little bit so that we can further understand what epigenetics is. You may remember from high school biology that the shape of our DNA is like a twisted ladder or a double helix. You have the ladder rungs and then you have the sides. The sides are alternating a sugar, a phosphate, a sugar, a phosphate, a sugar, a phosphate, all the way down both sides of that ladder. The sugar that is involved with DNA is called deoxyribose. So DNA is abbreviated for something called deoxyribose nucleic acid. It's referring to that sugar being deoxyribose. So anyway, down the sides of the ladder are alternating sugars and phosphates. And then attached to the sugar is some base. The bases will make up the rungs of the ladder. There are two categories. There's the purines and pyrimidines. And if you zoom in really closely and you look at their molecular shape, The purines have a double ring structure and the pyrimidines have a single ring. The purines include anine and guanine and the pyrimidines are thymine and cytosine. And they have, basically think about it as dance partners. The latter rung is made up of two base pairs that are holding hands. They are dance partners. And you have one purine or double ring matching with one pyrimidine or single ring. So adenine, which is a purine, matches with thymine, and guanine matches with cytosine. I know those are a lot of really big vocabulary words. So if you can just picture a ladder and the sides of it are alternating, phosphate sugar, phosphate sugar, and the rungs are the base pairs, and they have a certain way that they unite. A goes with T, C goes with G. That's what you'll see if you zoom in really, really close onto DNA, is you'll see these things called nucleotides. That's basically the sugar, the phosphate, and a base. And one of those nucleotides matches with another one, a different base with attached to a sugar and another phosphate. So that's if you're very, very close. Now let's zoom out again, like I talked about before, such that you're not really seeing it as the double helix anymore. You see it more as the string. The DNA is like the string that gets wrapped around, I had mentioned before, those yo-yos. 
Those are proteins called histones. And then that DNA gets wrapped really tight around another histone and another. And that gets packaged into making something called a chromosome. Human beings have 46 of these chromosomes, 23 pair, because you get half of them from mom and half of them from dad. The sperm and the egg, they only have half the number of chromosomes, but in every single other one of your cells, all of your somatic cells, which includes basically everything except for the egg if you're female or the sperm if you're male, all of your other cells have a total of 46 chromosomes, 23 pair. Now, if you go back to looking at that DNA as it's wrapped around the histone, okay, let's freeze frame it at that point. And if you can imagine taking a tag of some kind, you know how like you have a luggage tag, you wrap it around your luggage and you go, this one's mine. The one with the big old bright orange sign, that's going to be mine right there. That's a tag. And you can have different tags. One might be bright orange and represent some particular molecule. One other one might be bright green or, or whatever. You can have these tags either being directly on the DNA or attached to part of the histone. These tags, if you think about these them as being luggage tags, if the luggage tag is on the DNA or if it's on the histone, they make epigenetic modifications and that in turn affects gene expression. So is that light in the house on or off? Let me give you two examples to try to better explain things. There's one kind of epigenetic modification that is called DNA methylation. So, okay, DNA, that means it's attached to the, that luggage tag is on the DNA, not on the yo-yo part, not on the histone. It's on the actual DNA. And methylation, well, that means that you're doing something with a methyl. Well, it's referring to a methyl group, which is basically just a molecule. It's CH3. CH3 is the name of that orange luggage tag that it's getting shoved onto, not the yo-yo, but the actual DNA. DNA methylation is when that DNA strand has that tag on it, and that tag in this case is a methyl group or CH3. What happens with this DNA methylation is it occurs in a specific kind of site on your DNA. They call them CPG sequences, which is basically lots of cytosines and guanines together. And the cytosine gets an extra methyl group. So in other words, that tag, that luggage tag called methyl, gets placed on the cytosines of this particular section of the DNA. And when that cytosine gets methylated, when that happens on a promoter region, this is associated with gene silencing, aka the lights get turned off. So if you can imagine your DNA strand and there being those rungs where there's a bunch of cytosines and guanines in a row, and it's in a particular segment of DNA. And if that particular segment of DNA with all these cytosines gets those little methyl groups on them, that's called DNA methylation. And that says, hey, turn this light off right here. This one goes off, aka that gene is silenced. That is one method of epigenetics happening, making modifications to that phenotype, to that trait being expressed 
in this case, that gene's getting turned off without actually altering that DNA sequence. You still have cytosine guanine, cytosine guanine. It didn't change the DNA sequence, but the fact that that gene got turned off happens because those little tags, those methyl groups that got added to cytosine say, hey, 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 turn this light switch off. Okay, so that's one example. Another example of epigenetic modification is when those tags, the luggage tags, aren't on the DNA, but they're on the histone. They're on that yo-yo. And that's called histone modifications. And this can happen with the luggage tag called methyl, again, which is CH3, or it can also happen with a different kind of luggage tag, something called acetyl, an acetyl group. So you can have a methyl group or an acetyl group that gets added to the histones or the histone tails. In some of these cases, it turns gene expression on, the light's turned on in the house, that gene gets expressed. And in other cases, it turns off that gene expression where the lights get turned off in the house. This is examples of how the gene expressions can get modified without changing the DNA. And that, folks, is epigenetics. How that actually works, diving further and further into detail on Well, what color luggage tag do we have? Is it a methyl? Is it an acetyl? Where is it located? And what light in the house does it turn on and off and when and how? That is epigenetics. And as I've mentioned before, they're currently working on an international project where they are mapping out that human epigenome. So quick recap, again, epigenetics, big old fancy word. Genetics is the study of how traits are passed on from one generation to the next. Epi means on top of, so this is an added layer. This is not altering your DNA. It's not changing the genotype, but the phenotype or the trait expressed can be altered. In other words, there can be epigenetic modification based off of certain tags and how that DNA interacts with the proteins. Epigenetics can play a role in diseases like cancer by affecting what genes get turned on or off. Again, imagine if those tumor suppressor genes got turned off, then they no longer deliver that message to those old wonky cells telling them to die off. They don't. They replicate. You get big old mass of old wonky cancer cells that are invading tissue. I hope you now better understand epigenetics a little bit more. And I hope that you're excited about this science. This study is crazy awesome. And I hope that you are as excited as I am about where we are and where we can go. Also know the importance of finding those legit scientific articles and not being lured into believing those, quote, dihydromonoxide claims of the world. Just because it is a flashy world doesn't mean that every article you read out there is accurate. So be mindful, talk to your doctors, listen to them, and please, guys, know that you did not cause your cancer. It is not your fault, and you're not going to make the cancer just disappear by wishing it away or trying some quick fix. It doesn't work that way. And it does suck royally, but... 
You don't have to do this route alone because as always, together we weather this storm. I look forward to speaking with you guys again next week. Until then, remember just that. Together we weather this storm. You are never alone.